0: Welcome to Investment Magazine's new podcast series, The Future of Super. These podcasts are an in-depth series of conversations with key decision makers, leaders, and industry stakeholders at a time when the system is being challenged over its very purpose, as well as its efficiency and its ability to deliver. We explore critical topics for executives responsible for governance, for operations, and for outcomes we address vital issues relevant to the future of Australia's retirement savings system. Please visit investmentmagazine.com.au or get in touch to join the conversation. And now, please enjoy this episode.
1: AIA Australia is a leading life and well-being specialist with nearly 50 years experience and a commitment to help Australians live healthier, longer, better lives. Visit aia.com.au to find out more.
0: Hello and welcome. I'm Stuart Hawkins from Investment Magazine. Today on the Future of Super podcast series, we have recruitment specialist Mel Munro, an assistant director from Robert Walters, and Mercer principal and human resources consultant Michael Moses. Thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you both.
1: Thanks, Stuart. It's great to be here.
2: Looking
0: forward to it. Terrific. Now in this podcast, we wanna talk about that thorny issue of remuneration in the super industry. Who should get paid what and why? An issue that's particularly vexing in the context of super funds because of the compulsory nature of the way they accumulate assets and the fiduciary duty the organisations have to their members. So let's start with a seemingly simple question which I'm sure has a very complex answer. What is the fairest way to determine what a superannuation executive should be paid And what benchmarks are used to determine super industry C-suite remuneration? Who are the kinds of people we should be comparing them against? Mel, do you want to start us off with this one?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Look, it's traditional methods are always going to have their um, part to play when actually sourcing candidates and benchmarking salaries. And I think through that peer comparisons, performance of the fund as well and the size of the fund needs to come into it. Um and have a look at what the average salaries are across the the other funds um i think it's very hard with um it's very hard to compare apples with apples. you've got a lot of the bigger funds that are ahead and more have a more complex offering so you really also need to look at the content of a role as well as job title
0: Michael, what's your take on this? So I think Mills hit a lot of the high points there. I think um, the
2: complexity of the firm is also going to be important. So if you have outsourced partners for a lot of items, that might be something very different than if you're managing all of your functions internally. So probably add that, but funds under management is traditionally looked at as the the initial sort of screening candidacy. And I think um, just sort of on the question, what's the fairest way? I think you mentioned a very complex question. I think it's a bit of a loaded question because there are a lot of opinions on it. And so, you know, I think that ultimately it's trying to get the agency problem correct. So getting the right people in the door to do the right thing for members and wider stakeholders. And different companies will have different takes on that. Um, some will say, just come in, we'll give you a fair salary. And that that's enough for us. We'll bring you in. We'll pay you, you know, according to your peers, however we define them. Whereas other companies or other firms will indicate that they want to look at broader items, such as fund performance, like I was just saying, while also ticking all the governance boxes. So there are different opinions on what the right way to do it is, but I think that there are some basic standards that have been outlined.
0: Sure. Just following on from that question, who do you think their peers are then? If we're comparing people in these kind of funds with their peers, who are their peers? Who are we looking at? Outside of the super industry?
2: Outside the super industry, I mean, The financial services sector in a wider sense is going to be naturally the first place that most organizations will look. Um, And for example, that can be either mutuals, mutual banks, insurance companies. Those are going to have a very member first focus. And so I'd suggest that those would be an initial area to begin looking, Um, but it can span across to banking, to any other financial services um, roles as an initial point. And that's probably Again, we're talking about the the executive roles here, I would say. As you move out to the support functions, you can probably go even broader.
0: I understand. Now, I'm going to make a shameless plug alert here, but um, in our recent salary survey in Investment Magazine, one of the main conclusions was that executive pay for CEOs had remained static through the survey period. Well, the pay for CIOs had increased by sixteen percent on average. Um, do you have any thoughts on why? Um, I know Michael that you have commented on this in the past, but let's start with Mel and then we'll uh, we'll jump to you.
1: Yeah, I think there's been a couple of different factors. Actually, I think um, as much as we're all a little COVID fatigue to talk about it, but I do think from a CEO um, salary perspective, COVID has paid uh, played quite a part in that. If you look at it, a lot of CEOs have either taken a pay cut during the pandemic or they've not actually had their sort of annual salary increase. Whereas when you look at a CIO, the actual um, role has been much more in demand. So a lot of funds are obviously looking at in-housing of their investment functions and have not necessarily had that skill set already internally. If you look then as well at the external investment managers, their salaries are naturally higher than a member or profit for member um, funds. So what they needed to do is increase that salary level to match it, to attract and retain the best possible talent in the market.
0: Michael, your thoughts?
2: I think that that's a key driver. The talent market for these types of roles is fairly tight locally. Um, But additionally, I mean, some of these roles will also be paid based on fund performance and share market, and other uh, investments have been performing quite well. Interest rates will play into that. You'll also have, you know, very frothy stock markets. So I'd suggest that in addition to the fact that the labor market is very tight on the front end, which will probably put material upside pressure on salaries, you may also see someone, for those who are paying incentives, probably pretty good performance as well on that, paying out, you know, above average payments.
0: Now, the big, one of the biggest leaps in salaries in the survey period was among um, female executives. Now, why do you think that was? Are we finally seeing the fruits of a positive program to put more women in executive positions paying off, or is there something else at play here? Mel? Mel?
1: No, I definitely think it is um, really we're seeing the fruits of the labour. There's been a lot of work around gender diversity. There's been a lot of consciousness of how we actually get more of a gender balance in the workplace, Um, especially across executive teams as well. And I know a lot of funds that I deal with have wanted to ensure that they've got the right balance of uh, males versus females. Now with, again, with that in turn, bringing more females into those executive roles, you're naturally gonna see an increase in, in salaries or what will look like as an increase in salaries because they're perhaps not actually being within those roles or as prevalent in those roles um, over recent times. At AIA, our dream is to champion Australia to be the healthiest and best protected nation in the world. To achieve this, We are continuously innovating to develop and deliver customer-led life, health and well-being propositions that help people live healthier, longer, better lives. To find out more, visit aia.com.au.
0: Now, looking at the issue of internalisation, I know we we touched on that earlier, a lot of funds are internalising and they have to pay for that talent so that they have more control over the investment outcomes now how does that relate to remuneration and how much they have to pay for them and should funds be looking for superstar investors
2: i think that if you ask anyone in the let's say the financial services or investments profession even though it says you know investment performance past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance I work with a lot of clients who will say, even though it says it on the front page, nobody pays attention to that. And so, I think historical performance is going to be a key driver for you know potential members to say, oh, you know, perhaps this fund is performing much better than others. You know, maybe I need to join that one because my returns haven't been so good. Now, obviously, as it says on the front page of basically everything, or a big letters somewhere, that it's not indicative. I do think that. Um, you know, finding these superstar investors is very appealing for organizations. I do question, you know, if they can sustain that superstar status over long periods of time. I think historically, you know, it's unlikely that you'll find very many people who can consistently, every year, outperform the market. But for certain firms that are looking to have the opportunity to you know, attract more members, I think it could be, in addition to you know, obviously a fun performance um, benefit to them, they could also see it potentially as a
1: marketing um, or good publicity angle for them too.
0: I understand. Mel, do you have anything to add?
1: No, I think Michael covered the majority of it there. Yeah, absolutely same page.
0: Let's continue talking about talent acquisition. Where are folk looking to find new talent? And is it about poaching from other funds or are they looking outside the industry at the moment?
1: It's something I've seen a, um, a big change on this. Historically, super funds have looked... Inside of other super funds, and um, it's kind of the way that they've they've always worked. I would say over the last sort of couple of years, it's been a lot more open where they needed to um, have a look at new agile ways of working. They're changing systems, processes, platforms, and and like we've already touched on in in housing um, their investment functions. So they've naturally had to look out the others outside of the other super funds because they've necessarily not got that talent internally anyway. Um, where they have been looking is um, other financial services organisations, um, the big banks. I know the big four super super funds have, um, it's been a real attraction for them. Somebody's actually worked for one of the big four, and especially because they've been through some of the change elements that the super funds have been trying to to, to make as well.
0: Michael, anything to add?
2: I think the demands are again, very similar to what Mel was saying across these other financial services roles. And I think that governance is becoming an absolutely critical item. I mean, the Royal Commission took place a few years ago and with the COVID sort of year we just survived through seems like a century ago. But I feel that everything that was found there is still relevant. And so you're going to be needing people who are able to lead very complex organizations with very important duties to their members and that doesn't exist just in superannuation, and so I think that in addition to the technical skills that'll be required, the mindset of individuals—they really do need to be member first—is you know absolutely critical. Um, I mentioned before, you know, individuals who work for mutuals, um, for example. And I might do a shameless plug for Mercer, where Tim Barber recently joined Mercer Super, coming from Australian Unity, and that was a mutual, and that member first mentality. I think is absolutely critical, and you don't have that. just in Super, though, I think that you know, ideally you would find it everywhere in the super sector.
0: I was going to ask, how do you attract uh, talent? Because because of the confines of what's expected for super funds, they can be seen as quasi civil servants in a way. So, how do you how do you approach someone when you when you want to recruit them to uh, to a role in a super fund? Is there any any different way than you would otherwise?
1: Super is an actual really exciting space, to be honest. And the the attraction strategy, certainly when you're looking at the wider financial services market, is that super are still a little bit behind in in some of the systems, the processes. So it's still somebody can actually come in and really make a difference within a super fund and actually have more exposure to, um, to different elements of their role as opposed to a BAU role that they would take on in a bank, for
0: instance. Michael?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I would echo that as well. I think that in many cases, you know, some of these are some of the most attractive employers in the country. But looking to maybe some that may be lesser known, I think that there is material grounds to improve the lives of thousands of people. And these firms talk about their purpose and their mission. And if you can find somebody aligned with that, there is more than enough opportunity to achieve this mission and to really positively impact people, I do think that the job may be taller order for certain places than others. But I think that that exists in superannuation as well as any other sector.
0: Having said that, what kind of talent do you think is needed to navigate the the new super landscape? Where do you find the kind of people who can navigate the demands of fiduciary duty with ESG concerns and long term investment planning? It's a it's quite a it's quite a, a, a complex mix.
1: Yeah, certainly. So, and I think I think the search needs to be far and wide. Um, I don't think there's an easy answer to, to that question necessarily, Stuart, because I know when I'm undertaking a um a, a recruitment process for for a senior position, I will need to really widen the scope. Um, one thing where we are or what we are missing because of the pandemic and obviously the, the lack of travel is um, historically sort of expats coming from other countries where they've had a more sophisticated pension structure or equivalent. Um, so I think taking that out of the market um, at the moment is what we really are having to do is actually look at, um, yeah, a wide variety. There's no one hat fits all on on this. But.
0: Michael, do you think that the COVID issue has constrained your search for talent in this in this area?
2: I think... Outside of the super sector, and Mel, I'm sure you can comment within the sector as well more specifically, I have a lot of clients that are absolutely struggling to find talent specifically at that top level. I mean, with the more or less certainty that the government's going to keep the border shut for the next 12 months, possibly longer, um, that puts a lot of pressure on the labor market because you can't necessarily bring everybody in. Like Mel was saying, you may have expats returning to the country, but the ability for people to come and go is, you know, we knew before 2020 is not as easy as it used to be. And so I think that that does put a lot of pressure on the labor market, especially for these top jobs that are not easy. I think some of the things that you outlined, you know, demands of fiduciary duty, ESG, long-term investment, this is not an easy topic for any individual to sort. So I think that if you reduce the labor market from the entire world to just one country and that can be any country that, you know means the search is going to be more demanding
0: mm-hmm. i understand now we're coming to the end of uh, end of our time so uh, just one final question on um, on governance now across the board Funds are looking to increase the weighting of non-financial measures in advance of APRA's new prudential standard, which focuses on remuneration and is currently in draft form. The new standard is expected to ensure funds build factors such as member wellbeing and member retention into incentive schemes in the future. Do you feel that governance standards on remuneration do have to progress in super? What are your thoughts and what are your thoughts on how this will play out with APRA? Michael? Michael?
2: I think initially it's probably worth stating that not every single super fund is using variable pay. That's probably an initial place to begin, which means that the only organizations that are going to be impacted from this, you know, weightings and measures, requirements that are going to be put in by APRA only applies to a select few. When it comes to how remuneration should be managed, do we think that governance should be, you know, progress? I think in all organizations, they need to look deeply at themselves and decide if they're going to achieve their mission, if they're going to be looking at members, but also wider stakeholders. Does something need to change here? And I would argue that almost every company in the world probably could do for that. I think superannuation has a pretty unique place to play in this because they're investing in the future. And so where that money goes will have a very material impact, not just on members, but wider stakeholders. So I think in all contexts, the answer is yes. And I think in superannuation sector, which has such a large holding of shares in the Australian market, but also now overseas increasingly, I think that there's a lot that should be looked at. And yeah, I think that there is some progress that needs to be made.
0: Mel, do you have any final comments on this question?
1: Not necessarily. I think... Definitely progress always needs to be made. The only thing I would say is with superannuation is one of the challenges we're going to have with that is REM is always a little bit further behind in a super fund than what it is in a commercial or a a large financial services. And I do think by restricting this is going to make it even harder. We've already sort of touched on um, how difficult it is to attract talent in the current market. And I think um, it could impose another challenge on top of that.
0: Terrific. Thank you very much indeed for your time this afternoon. It's much appreciated. Is there any final thoughts that either of you have that you would like to uh, articulate before we finish? No,
1: nothing for myself.
0: Okay, no problem. Michael? I think that
2: just moving forward as the regulatory environment changes when it comes to respect to... A variable pay and pay in the sector, I think super actually has a bigger opportunity than it realizes. It may cost a little bit more on the base salary side, but because there will be these material deferrals of pay across the financial services sector here in Australia, I think that the model that's played out in super may actually be an advantage, where historically it's been focused on that salary component, if they can get that number right, which probably means it has to go up. But I think that model actually can sustain and make the industry competitive from a pay perspective. So I think that there's some opportunity that maybe some people haven't thought of yet.
0: Thank you very much. And thank you both again for your insights.